Welcome, everyone, to the Zojo Talk podcast. I am your host, Paul Lefevre, the Zojo Developer Evangelist. And my special guest for episode 30 of Zojo Talk is the one and only Jeff Perlman, founder and CEO of Zojo. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks, Paul. Glad to be back. So you've kind of been, in the last couple of years, my October, September kind of guest. Just now it's a yearly thing. You know, we're stuck uh, every October. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Which is kind of good timing because lots of neat things happen on the Apple side for things to talk about. So we'll get to that in a bit. But this year, the timing also works out well because at the beginning of October, for the first time ever, we held our Zojo Developer Conference in the fall. Yep. So XTC 2016 was in Houston, Texas at the beginning of October. And I thought we might start by talking a little bit about that. So... I mean, what did you think? You did the keynote, and that seemed to be pretty well received by the responses to tweets and the, the forum thread and the blog post, certainly. Um, so what do you think? What, what are you, the sort of things you want to call out about XDC? Yeah, so I thought it went really well. Um, we've done so many of them now. It's, you know, I mean, Dana does most of the work, so I have to give her that credit. Um, but it, 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 it really goes very smoothly these days. Um, you know, I remember when I did my first keynote address at an, at a, uh, one of our conferences, you know, it was a tremendous amount of preparation. It always is, but I've done so many of them now that it's, it's just a lot easier. It's, it's more about just what are we going to talk about and how are we going to say it and those sorts of things. Um, I agree. I thought the keynote was well-received. Um, I think people come to XDC partially to, have an understanding of uh, what what our roadmap is looking like, and that's what we try to provide. Um, it's always that balancing act, as you know all too well, about how much do we say and then how much detail, and making sure that people understand that a roadmap isn't a promise. It's you know this is what we're planning to do. Uh, like you know in any you know the the best made plans of mice and men, however that phrase goes. Um, you can head down a path and find out that, you know, things don't quite work the way you expected. And maybe that means you've got to uh, change your schedule or change some of the details, but, but that's, you know, roughly what we're going to do. And I, I thought that went really well. Um, so yeah, I, I thought the whole conference really went, went pretty smoothly. Yeah. And, and certainly, I mean, talking with people, uh, people really, really appreciate hearing some sort of roadmap. I, I get from a lot of people that, you know, it, it doesn't make them comfortable to just work work in the dark with tools and not know anything about what even the plans are. You know, they don't necessarily care about, you know, when things are going to happen, but just w what direction are things headed? And I think we finally honed it to a point with the roadmaps you do at XTC to kind of give just that amount of information so people are pretty comfortable to know what it is we're thinking about, what we're working on. So what they can expect in the future. And the last, you know, we're getting pretty good at these as far as, you know, identifying stuff, knocking stuff off, working down the path, identifying and telling people when, oh, you know, the road tweaked a little here. So, <laughs> and, and I yeah, think I people agree. really appreciate that. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, um, you know, just as human beings, we, we want to have information, you know, uh, we, cause we make our best decisions with the most information that we can reasonably get. Um, and yeah, these people are, are especially the ones that come to XDC 
they're really depending on us. And so it, there's some comfort in knowing that, that we have a plan, that we think out that far. And I explained this during the keynote that, you know, we have a roadmap you know, internally that typically goes out uh, 12 months. And then beyond that, we have other things that we, we know we want to do, but we know they're more than 12 months out. So we don't even need to really detail them because the details will come later. But even with that 12-month roadmap, like it's like distance. The things that are closer up are crystal clear, and the things that are further down the road are a little fuzzier. Um, so it's it's like eyesight in that respect. Um, and uh, but I think they they got that, and I think it you know makes people feel good to know that okay, yeah, they've got a plan, and you know things are going to move in a positive direction. Well, one of the things that uh, you spent a bit of time talking about at the end of the keynote was kind of the, the history of Zojo in the community a little bit. And with this year being the 20th anniversary of Zojo, and it's, you know, we had talked about it a little, that a little bit on Twitter and stuff in marketing a bit, but I think there were a few people that were a little bit surprised. And I often will get customers or prospective customers emailing me asking a question along those lines. And then I'll say, well, you know, we've been around for, you know, 20 years and people, oh, really? I had no idea. And so that, that certainly is a nice thing to bring up. And so I guess my, my question to you would be, you know, you probably didn't envision being here today, of course, 20 years ago. So, you know, yeah, no, you know, so, so when I got married, um, it was right kind of at the beginning of, of us being a product company, right. Uh, We'd already been in business three years, but we were, we were a consulting company initially, and then we became a product company. And you you and I have an interesting um, thing in common and that we both got married uh, one day apart uh, in the same year. So most people don't know that. Paul, Paul got married the day after I got married. So we both celebrated our 17 year wedding anniversaries this year. And when I got married to my wife, she asked me how long I thought I'd be doing what I'm doing. And honestly, it was in the middle of the internet bubble and valuations were crazy and companies were buying each other up and all that stuff. So I said, oh, I'd probably five years, you know. Now that was in 1999, right? Uh, so yeah, I I did not expect to be doing this as long as I have. But on the other hand, if you'd asked me when I was 16 what I'd be doing as an adult, I wouldn't have told you that I'd be living in Austin, Texas, and running a development tools company. I never would have guessed that. Um, so that's the interesting thing about life is you just don't know where it, you know, despite, you know, your planning, I think I I tell people, if you plan really, really well, then you, you at least will be going forward, not backward, but forward has 180 degrees, you know, (laughs) of Delta. So, so forward might not mean the exact path you thought you were going to take. Right. So. There it is. Yeah, th- th- exactly. I mean, I, I doubt many people would be able to know exactly even, you know, 10 years out, oh, I intend to be doing X. I mean, sure. things change. And you, and the best thing is to just, you know, be able to adapt, see how things are going. And like you said, being able to move forward and take advantage of situations you're in is always key. So, yeah, I, I, I don't... Uh, I don't want to get too philosophical, but what I tell people is 
Um, and this may not seem like the case until you think about it a bit, uh, but everybody, everybody makes the best decisions they can make at the time that they make them with the information they have. Uh, a, a moment later, they might make a different decision. A day later, a week later, a month later, even a, a two seconds later. Um, but at that moment, even, even when someone makes a decision and says, I know this is the wrong decision, even when they say that to themselves, it's still the best decision they're capable of making, right? So, because they, if, if it wasn't, they'd make a different decision. So that's just how it goes. And I think you just have to recognize that as you go through your life, that, that your life is going to take a path and uh, it may be what you planned. It may be mostly what you planned. It may be not even close to what you planned. Yeah. That, I think you've mentioned this before that, you know, it kind of ties into the concept of uh, strong convictions, weekly held kind of thing uh-huh. where, you know, you, you, you feel strongly about decisions you make, but as new information comes down the pike, maybe he'll use that to reevaluate past decisions. But, and, you, sure. and you do that, you don't just tie yourself to a decision because you made it once, even if, you know, maybe that decision was wrong. Yeah. So. And you don't, and you don't, there's, there's no value in uh, raking yourself over the coals over past decisions. The, the only value that, that um, regret has is if it helps you to make better decisions in the future. Um, beating yourself up about decisions in the past is a futile, pointless, damaging exercise because um, you made the best decision you could make. You know, having hindsight is always twenty twenty, as we say, right? Um, I may have told you the story in the past, but uh, I saw an interview with a guy that uh, tried to kill himself by jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. Now, most people die. He survived. And he said the moment his feet left the bridge, he realized he'd made a horrible mistake. Well, when I tell, when I tell the story, I tell people the moment his feet left the bridge, he had more information, right? He was now fully committed to his decision. And he realized that with that new information that maybe this isn't what he wanted to do. And he was lucky he survived, right? So, yeah, you know, that's just the way things happen. So give yourself a break for past decisions you've made um, that, were, that didn't work out so well. Use that information to, to uh, make better decisions in the future. And don't congratulate yourself too much for your good fortune because, you know, half of that was luck just like everybody else. <laughs> That is probably important to remember. Yes. Yeah. So uh, bringing it back to XTC, I got to agree with what you said earlier that this this entire one really seemed to go very smoothly. Um, it wasn't in the home city, as we like to say, of Austin, like uh, we've done the last couple of years. And that can make, yeah. you know, coordination a little bit easier. We, we were a few hours away in Houston. But uh, still, everything went really, really smoothly. We had a couple technical glitches right after your keynote uh, with a projector dying. But other than that, really nothing, um, which was good. I ended up myself having to do three presentations and I moderated two panels. And I got to say, that was five things, and I was kind of freaked out the week before. Uh, <laughs> But, that is a lot. But the prep work that I had done and just the fact that I've been to enough and you know a fair amount of people at these things, that they, like you said, you, you feel more comfortable. 
And and that's what I always try to stress to the speakers too before when I have a little meeting with them beforehand is that, hey, you know, r- really you're amongst friends here doing this, so you can you know take it down a notch a little bit, you know, be more relaxed, remember who you're talking to, and, and enjoy yourself. And I think that really showed in a lot of the presentations. We had uh, quite a few different topics this year. We had several, not several, but probably many. I don't have the exact number in front of me of people that had never presented at XTC before that did for the first time, which was always cool because that gives varied topics. I this year was the first in a couple years where we didn't put out the vote to repeat sessions. Mm-hmm. Probably also because we're recording and we didn't need to, but also because the schedule was full. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We're there was really no space to fill. You know, we had every every session filled, so that was good. And uh, and for people that weren't at XTC, uh, I'll be sure to include a a link in the show notes. But you missed out on seeing at the the event the first night of Jeff jumping up on stage and playing some drums with the band that was the uh, the special event the first night. And uh, you played along with uh, Tom Petty's American Girl, if I remember yep, right. Yep, yep, great song. And it's always funny to watch everyone's, uh, that didn't know that you were, you know, uh, quite a good drummer. And, <laughs> and people are like, oh, just going to go up there and he's going to, you know, tap the cymbal a few times or something. And then you're just up there wailing. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the funny thing is, is that the the band, of course, doesn't know this either, right? I mean, two oh, of the I members, didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah, two of the members of the band knew it, but when they brought this up with the rest of the band, they're like, "Oh, no, 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 bad idea." And afterwards, the drummer told me that they get this kind of request a lot, and it's it almost always is a bad idea. Um, people think they can sing, and they can. They people think they can play guitar, whatever it is, and they really can't. Um, but this time, and, and, you know, I did this in 2008 or 2007, something like that. Yes. Yes. Um, with the same band though, at the time it was, um, the only people in the band that were the same were the female lead singer and the drummer because they are actually brother and sister. Uh, everybody else in the band has changed. And back then I approached them right before they went on stage and I'm standing there with Trish McMurphy uh, or Murphy, Trish Murphy. And um, the the female lead singer and Dana, our uh, director of marketing, and me, and they're about to go on stage. And I tell them, hey, I'd really like to do a song with you guys. And the look on Trisha's face (laughs) (laughs) was like, oh, my gosh, I don't want to do this, but this guy's writing the check. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And um, you can find the the recording on YouTube. Uh, It's great because... Uh, at one point you see the, I think it's the bass player who looks over at me on the drums about halfway through and you, he kind of nods and smiles. You can kind of tell he's like, okay, this, this isn't going to stink. This is actually going to be okay. Well, so this time when they told the band about this, uh, the band was like, oh, you know, bad idea. And they said, no, 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 we, we've done this before with this guy. He knows how to play. So don't worry about it. Well, we we ran through the song once during the sound check, which I think that really made the rest of the band feel, you know, a lot more comfortable. Okay, yeah, you're right. He can play. I, I've been a drummer uh, since I was, gosh, I guess about 12. Um, played in bands uh, in middle school, high school, after high school. Um, you know, and then as an adult, I you know, my life just 
became more busy, but I've always had drums in my life and um, I've written songs and all that. And it is a side of me most people haven't seen. So it's kind of surprising, you know, when you see someone do something they're good at and you've just never seen that before. You know, you just didn't know that they were good at that. Um, I think that uh, the first time I saw my wife, who's Korean, speaking Korean to her parents, it's like, I've never heard her speak Korean. So right. all of a sudden she's speaking this other language fluently is kind of a surprise. And I think for a lot of our users that came to XTC, it was the same thing with um, me playing the drums. But it was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah it, uh, it certainly, that was a good song to pick. Everyone knows it. And uh, so, yeah, that's the room really filled up there. That was uh, that was pretty neat to see. So yeah. XTC, I... I I do want to remind everyone that wasn't there that uh, the sessions were recorded as we did last year. And uh, obviously all the attendees will get these recordings as part of their, you know, registration fee essentially. But if you were unable to attend and you want to get a copy of the recordings, they'll be made for sale when uh, they're made available. It should be by the end of the year. I expect uh, the video crew is working hard on them as we speak. I, not that I can see them, but I trust they are. And yeah, <laughs> I, I, they told me that, or at least Dana told me, I guess, that the uh, video crew told them or told her that they'd be available sometime in December. All right. So there you go. So there were 36 sessions in all that'll be uh, on there. And uh, so that's a lot of material, lots of cool topics. So you can still check out the XTC site at uh, zojo.com slash XTC. So you can get a list of the sessions that were there and who presented them and all that fun stuff. And I want to say um, the thing that I like about XTC um, really more than anything is just talking to Zojo users. That, that's by far my favorite thing. You know, the hallway conversations and conversations at lunch and at dinner, um, that's, it's just really great to hear the stuff they're doing. I mean, you know, all throughout the year, they're just a, an email address or a name on the forum. And, you know, that's great that we have the internet and we got that kind of communication, but it's not the same as being in the same room, you know, face-to-face -face with somebody and being able to just sit around during lunch and you know, finding out who they are and how they found Zojo and what they're doing with it. And that's just stuff that I personally really enjoy. It's my favorite part of the conference. Yeah, I, I got to agree totally. And from both sides of the fence. I mean, certainly now it is fun to meet all our customers and see what they're doing. I, I, for example, I met uh, Tim Dietrich for the first time at XTC, even though he's the one that interviewed me in the last podcast. Uh, right. And, you know, I talk to him all the time for, you know, he does guest webinars and stuff and we chat occasionally on things he's working on. And so I, I know him, I've seen him via video and stuff, but I never actually met him and shook his hand. And it was kind of cool to be able to do that. Yep. But also on the flip side, before I was, you know, I worked for Zojo going as a customer, it was always really cool to see how accessible the Zojo staff is at these conferences. I mean, we, we just mingle, yeah. <laughs> you know, when it's time to eat, we spread ourselves out. We mingle with people. We talk, try to talk to different people all the time. And I, I think sometimes people are just like a little floored. Like, what do you mean? They're just talking to us. They're not supposed to do that. And right. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I, and I've been on the other side of that, you know, when I was younger with other software companies and, you know, it's just our corporate culture. You know, we, we like being accessible. That's why we're on the forums. Uh, uh, years and years and years ago at, at one of these conferences, 
at the feedback session that we have, which is the last session, right, of the conference, <laughs> somebody said, uh, and this was in Austin, by the way, someone said, I really, Jeff, I really appreciate the fact that you, how'd they put it, like jetted in for this conference. And that, that, I said, well, I live here. I actually drove to the to the hotel. I mean, you know, this is, I think people expect, like you say, that, that, that we will be not very accessible. And when we are, that's a surprise. And maybe it's because that's the experience they have elsewhere. Uh, but our culture is one of being very open and friendly and accessible to our users. So, yeah, I mean, we actually like them. So go figure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, moving on from XTC, uh, some of the other tech things that have come up a little bit that we want to uh, talk a little bit about was uh, last month, a new version of Mac OS came out since Apple yep. is pumping these things out once a year. And it's uh, they, and they actually changed the name. It's now called Mac OS instead of OS 10. And it's uh, code name is Sierra. So it's Mac OS Sierra and the version is 10.12, I believe. What a weird numbering yep. thing. When they announced this, I really, really thought they were going to drop the 10 part and they would have called it Mac OS Sierra 12, but they didn't <laughs> go mm. figure. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, no, I didn't think about that part of it. Um, I guess they feel like um, it's version 10 of the operating system and it's still the same underlying core operating system that it was, you know, 10 years ago. Um, they've, they've improved it dramatically but going from Mac OS 9 to Mac OS 10, it was a different operating system. It, it, it looked the same and it worked a lot of the same in some ways, but the underlying code was completely different. It's been rewritten essentially. Yeah, I just find Maybe that's what it is. I just find the numbering is weird because I mean they're up to iOS 10 and but right. now it's it's Mac OS 10. And so next year is where I'm like, what are they going to do? Are they going to do iOS 11, but it'll still be Mac OS 10.13? And you know, are they really going to go with 13? And well, yeah, but remember that um they're kind of moving away from version numbers on with Mac OS. You know, they're they're really emphasizing El Capitan, Sierra. That's true. Uh, they do really emphasize those code names. I think that if you you know, randomly chose 10 Mac users that were running Sierra and asked them, what version number is this? I would bet that eight out of 10 couldn't tell you. They would say, uh, you know, I don't know. It's Sierra. That's a really good point. I, it's probably us nerdy types that really just know the version numbers of things. Yeah. I, I'll have to do a test on less nerdy neighbors and family members and see if they actually have any clue what right. the numbering is. Whereas with iOS, all there is is the version number. Right. So you ask, uh, 10 iPhone users, what's the latest version of iOS? And at least 9 out of 10, maybe 10 out of 10, will say, oh, it's iOS 10. Right? Yeah, that's probably it. If we talk that through, that makes a lot of sense. So I, you're, you tend to be one of these... Uh, I'm, I'm obviously an early adopter in that I will grab whatever the latest operating systems are and install them in virtual machines. I generally do not put them on real computers right away. So I'm an early adopter that I want to see it and play around with it, but I don't put it on my real machines right away because I'm a nervous Nelly about stuff like that. But Jeff, on the other hand, is like diving in with, you know, both feet first and saying, new version, I love Damn it. Damn the torpedoes. <laughs> so you put Sierra <laughs> on your main computer like almost right away? Uh, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much as soon as it came out. Yeah. 
I mean, they have public betas now. I hadn't heard anything horrible. You know, in the past, heck, in the past when there were no public betas. Um, I mean, we'd get betas because we're a developer, but, um, yeah, I would typically do it there. And it, to be honest with you, as far back as I can remember, there's only been one version of Mac OS X that uh, I felt a little burned by installing it immediately because, like, there was, you know, five things that weren't working right. And that was, I want to say, around 2007. It feels like it was, like, Leopard or Snow Leopard or something like that. Um, uh, but that got cleared up within a few weeks. You know, it wasn't a huge problem. And with Sierra, I just installed it and it worked perfectly. I haven't had any problems. In fact, uh, in some ways, it's definitely better. For example, uh, I use Apple Mail, and Apple Mail under El Capitan crashed on me oh, every day, but but sometimes more than once a day. Um, and I was wondering when Mac OS Sierra came out if that would be resolved, uh, because every time the crash dialogue came up, it was always in the background. It wasn't I was using Apple Mail. Apple Mail was just open, and I was using another app, and all of a sudden, bang, the crash report dialogue comes up. It says Apple Mail has crashed. So I was really curious when Sierra came out if that would be resolved. And sure enough, uh, since installing Sierra, Apple Mail has not crashed once. So I'm, ha- I'm happy about that. Oh, that's a good improvement. Yeah, I've only uh, – I waited till after XTC to put it on my laptop. Uh, so I have done that. And the, the couple of days after I got here, I installed it on my MacBook Air. So I've been running that. I'll keep – it's going to stay on there. That's not really my primary computer, so I can work around any issues. So far, it seems fine. Um, I haven't noticed any real difference. I, I, I got to say, Sierra didn't have any really compelling features for me to say, ooh, I want to have this one. So I wasn't as, you know, gung-ho to put it on. I mean, the big thing it added was a Siri integration, and I'm not a big Siri user, yeah. so – that's not a draw for me. Uh, the the ability to have things in tabs instead of separate windows is kind of cool, and uh, I think I could find that really useful with all the virtual machines I typically have open. So that 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 is a little appealing because the new version of VMware Fusion does have some support for that. So that would be kind of cool. But I haven't yet put it on my Mac Pro, and uh, mostly because uh, you know the thing is technically unsupported at this point, and I'm running a different graphics card and different graphics driver, so I got to tread carefully there and let other people be the uh, test beds to make sure all is clean. Yeah, you know, um, the, with Sierra or not Sierra with, with uh, Siri, with Siri, I use Siri a lot on my iPhone, uh, but you know, before the iPhone 6s, uh, I didn't. I didn't really use Siri on the phone much at all. Uh, and once they added with the success the ability to use the Hey Siri feature without it being plugged in. Let's see, I just, Siri heard that and <laughs> my phone and just jumped in. And you just um, did that for everybody that's listening through speakers. Yeah, no, no, because you, you have to train it. So, yeah, <laughs> it shouldn't be triggering on my voice, but my phone certainly does. Anyway, uh, I found that when it, didn't have to be plugged in when I could use it anywhere. Then I use it a lot. I use that feature a lot. Now, with Sierra having uh, Siri built in, they they have a keyboard shortcut for it, but it, they don't have the ability for you to just activate Siri via voice command yet. Uh-huh. And so that makes it less useful. But the other thing is, and I don't want to say it's not useful because I, I've explored it, but I haven't gotten, it hasn't become a habit to use it on, on the Mac. Uh, 
Um, when you're on a Mac, it's pretty fast to get to your browser and type in a search criteria. That's not the case on a phone. On a phone, you're typing with your with individual fingers, you know, with your thumbs or whatever. Uh, it's a smaller screen, uh, so being able to just give Siri a command is really uh, beneficial on a phone. It is on the Mac, just not quite as beneficial. But I do think that when they get to the point where you can activate Siri via a voice command the way you can on the phone, then I think it'll get a lot more use. And I think Apple is smart in that they know that there are um, there are deliverable milestones, right? They, they, they know where they're taking the products, but, but they don't have to get all the way there before they ship. We try to do the same thing. Uh, hopefully most companies do. Recognize when you've added enough value, ship that, and then incrementally improve. So I, I fully expect in some future version of uh, Mac OS for there to be um, you know, the ability to activate Siri via voice. I'm not saying the magic phrase because my phone will activate <laughs> it. But um, you, you know what I mean. So, but other things, I, like, my, I agree with you that, that, that Sierra is not, you know, oh my gosh, I have to install it right away because there's these 10 features that I can't wait to use. Having said that, um, there are two features that are in Sierra that for me have turned out to be really great. Um, one of them, the one I, I love the most, is the universal clipboard. So in Sierra, when I copy something to the clipboard on my phone or on my Mac, it automatically transfers that to the other device. And it's fantastic. You know, it's like I'm, I'm on my phone and I'm, uh, I've got some text and I need to use that text on the Mac. I can just, or a picture or whatever, I just do a copy and go to my Mac and do paste. And it, that works extraordinarily well. It's, it's not perfect. Everyone's, you know, you, you can't wait too long uh, to do the paste. It does have, there's some kind of time limit, um, um, but uh, it does work, you know, extraordinarily well. Um, I also like the fact that, um, well, I've started using uh, iCloud Photo Library, which I think we'll probably talk about later. Uh, but I love the fact that, you know, I can take a picture with my phone and, Seconds later, that picture is in the Photos app on my Mac. So if I, if, if I really need to use that picture on the Mac, I just take the picture from my phone and it shows up on my Mac. Though with the Universal Clipboard, if I wasn't using iCloud Photo Library, I could just copy the picture and paste it you know, on the Mac. Um, the other feature of Sierra, th this is, I guess, not technically Sierra, but Sierra enables it. In the iWork set of uh, apps, uh, numbers, pages, and Keynote, they've added collaboration. And that feature is in beta right now, but it works really, really well. Um, so that means that with the desktop versions of those apps, whether it's on the Mac desktop in Sierra or on the phone, uh, I can share a, a document and multiple people can edit the document at the same time, um, which is really great. There's We've been using... Google Docs quite a bit, as you know, Paul. Um, and with this collaboration feature, we we won't have to use Google Docs nearly as much as we used to. Um, we still may use it for some things, but it's a I, to me being able to use a desktop app is a much richer experience than using a browser-based app. 
Yeah, definitely. I, I do use Google Docs quite a bit, and uh, I prefer pages and numbers when I do get a chance to play around with those, so that will be cool. Unfortunately for me, the Universal Clipboard, as cool as that would be, is not compatible with an old Mac Pro, so I'll never get to see that unless, unless Apple ah. does something cool with that. Yeah, apparently the Bluetooth that this has or in something else, it also doesn't support the handoff and continuity. I think they're all kind of related. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm in, you know, as a nod for Apple, I don't know what year your Mac Pro is. You it's know? a, it's old. It's a 2009 that thinks it's a 2010. So it's old. Okay. Well, my MacBook Pro is a 2012. So that's four years ago. Yeah. It and, works with my MacBook Air, which is a 2013. Um, yeah. Okay. So, you know, the more recent stuff. Yeah. So, but still three or four years old, you know, three or four year old computers and being able to use those new features, that's that's pretty nice, you know. It, yeah, that's not, not like bad. I stuff, so cool. Yeah, so Sierra um, is out, and more and more people will start using it, I'm sure, uh, because Apple's OS upgrades seem to be adopted pretty quickly, especially compared to other platforms. So, I suspect I yeah. probably will switch to it when ten the the point one comes out and I can verify the graphic drivers are all compatible. That's about when I think I'll pull the trigger for my main computers. It seems like all the apps I primarily use have had their updates for Sierra compatibility. So I think it looks like things. Yeah, are and I good. bet you that that the ten one will probably come out um, next month. Is my guess. Yeah, it's, it's it's had several betas at this point, so it's got to be pretty close. Yeah. Uh, all right. So moving on in our operating systems discussion. Uh, as Apple tends to do, right alongside, or I guess a week before Sierra came out, the new iOS 10 came out. And uh, this was a pretty big update to iOS. It it made a lot of frequently front-facing user-type changes. And I ran this for, um, I I guess on that, I installed it on my iPhone 6 when the, the... gold master was made available. So like I usually grab that like a week before if I've heard the betas are good. Unfortunately, beta testing those things requires you to have multiple devices, which is kind of a pain unless you want to be crazy and put the beta on your, your main thing. But I went with the GM a week ahead of time. I had no trouble with iOS 10 for installation or usage. I really liked um, some of the changes it added. The, the new notifications, I love. I think those are great. Yep, me too. They're on my list of my favorite iOS 10 features. The home button change was a little weird to get used to, but I prefer it. Uh, so that was kind of cool. Um, try, what, what were your things that you thought were notable? Yeah, so the home button um, was to me was no big deal. Um, that was because I was already, you know, with Touch ID, you know, you're, you're already there. So that didn't seem like a big deal. Um I'll bring it up again, the universal clipboard. <laughs> I really love And I was 10. Uh, like you said, better notifications. I really like the notifications. And with newer iPhones, the 3D touch, you know, like when the alarm goes off, I use the alarm quite a bit in the clock app. You can swipe down on the notification and then snooze or stop the alarm, which is cool. Um, another feature that, you know, I heard about and it sounded cool. Then I heard people say it wasn't that interesting. And now that I've tried it, I really like is the, the the clock app's bedtime feature. So you can tell the clock, okay, here's how long I want to sleep for, and here's what time I want to get up. So it says, okay, well, based on that, you need to go to bed at this time. Uh, we'll remind you, 
you know, how far ahead of time you want to be reminded. And so, you know, I go to bed at 11 because I get up at seven, which gives me eight hours of sleep, which is what I want. And so at 1030, it says, you know, it, it does notification and plays a little uh, charm, you know, or a little, um, you know, song and um, chime is what is the word I was looking for. And it tells me, hey, it's time to get ready for bed. You know, we can often tend to um, not be on a regular sleep schedule, but studies show that a regular sleep schedule, even on the weekends, is actually really, really good for you. So I, I tend to maintain that, and it helps me do that. But the other thing that's interesting about the bedtime feature that I didn't know is that it actually, in the health app, it keeps track of how much sleep you're getting. So I'm not sure exactly how they do it, um, but it seems like if you, uh, it has something to do with, you know, when the, the phone stops moving and it's, I don't know if they're using an ambient light sensor to determine that the lights have gone off, uh, but it seems to record what time I go to bed. And then when, when the alarm goes off in the morning, of course, it records what time I got up. And if I wake up in the middle of the night and I use my phone for, you know, five minutes, it'll have a recording of that as well. So what you end up with in the health app is this history of your sleep patterns. Yeah. And, you know, you and I, were engineers, so we're, we're data-minded. And for me, having that constant feedback is a great way for me to stay on track. Um, I weigh myself every morning and I write, you know, I, I record that health data uh, in the health app for the same reason, because seeing the constant pattern is what keeps me uh, on track. So, yeah, it's your incentive and keeps you focused. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, if my weight goes up one morning, I think about, well, you know, what did I do yesterday? Right. How did I, how, how was yesterday different? Did I not exercise? Did I go out for barbecue, which is a little higher in calories than most things? Um, you know, that kind of thing. And, and I reorient myself for the, for that day. So, okay, I'm going to eat healthier. I'm going to make sure I take my morning walk, you know, whatever it is. So that kind of feedback works. Well, the, the bedtime feature in the clock app is helping me do that with sleep. And I don't know about you, Paul, uh, but for me, eight hours is pretty much right. Um, uh, nine hours is too much. And seven hours, I can operate on seven hours, but I definitely would prefer eight. Once you get to six or below, uh, boy, it definitely affects how I think during the day. It's easy to get distracted. You know, I, I just doesn't, I don't feel good on six hours of sleep. Yeah, I'm in the same, pretty much same boat. I mean, you can do six in a pinch when you got to, but, you know, that's not a great day the day after. And uh, eight is good. I, I generally get up probably like 6.30. And uh, so I get a similar thing. I don't use the app for tracking my sleep. My wife does, though. She absolutely loves it. Thinks that's yeah. the coolest thing as well. And uh, is surprised that that doesn't get a little more, uh, uh, I don't know, notice from people that that's uh, useful. Yeah, the other thing is, uh, and I think that this might be only in the, you have an iPhone 6, right? Well, we'll talk about that in a bit. Oh, okay. I, I did. Right. I did until yesterday. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the I believe the iPhone 6s and and the 7 um, have this feature that's new to iOS 10, and that is when you the, the the phone can kind of figure out that you're trying to look at it. So when you tilt it towards yourself, the screen comes on. 
And I found that that's really handy. Like I'll be, you know, watching TV and I'm, I don't know what time it is. And I ought to just lift the phone towards myself and the screen comes on and I can see the clock, you know, on the face of the phone. So I don't have to, you know, uh, press a button or do touch ID or anything, you know, and so just, you know, or if my phone rings or a notification happens I, and I'm out somewhere, I can pull the phone out of my pocket and just look at it, you know, without having to move my fingers around or reorient them to engage the phone. The phone somehow knows I'm looking at it and uh, the screen comes on so I can see those notifications. Well, totally. And that, that's kind of a good segue into the, the next topic, uh, which is, you know, iOS 10 came out, but, you know, Apple doesn't release new big iOS versions unless they get a new phone to showcase it. And uh, yep. this time the new phone was the iPhone 7 and 7 Plus. And uh, I, I originally wasn't thinking I was probably going to jump on the iPhone 7 and 7 Plus bandwagon. But then Verizon put out a deal where they were offering a $650 trade-in for old iPhone 6s. And uh, which is essentially was its full price. And so I I really couldn't pass that up. So I did end up ordering. Uh, And at the time, one thing I did want to do was upgrade to the larger plus model. I just had a regular six. Okay. So I did end up ordering back on September 19th. So after the initial wave, I waited a few days to read reviews and stuff. Uh, I ordered a seven plus and it arrived yesterday. Um, so I've had it for cool. less, less than 24 hours. So I've been playing with it, but yeah, that, that raise to wake feature is awesome. <laughs> you know, you just pick up the yeah, phone and it, it lights really up is. and it's just like, Oh, cool. And you throw it back down and it's, and, uh, I mean, so far I'm still playing around with it. So I haven't, um, done too, too much with it. I really, really like the new non home button that that's probably my favorite change. Yes. Uh, I found the old home button to be unreliable in you know recognizing of clicks it always felt a little squishy to me and like it was not going to last super long although the iphone 6 i never had any real problem with it but it just never felt real great and this new one where it's not a button you're just kind of squeezing the device but it, it vibrates a little bit i just think that feel it feels like a rock and i set it on the lightest setting and i it's quieter i just like it a lot better and of course, yeah, I'll tell you, uh, the, the early reviews of it were people weren't so sure about it, and they'd say, oh, i got to put it on the strongest setting and all that. And I was a little nervous because I ordered my iPhone 7 before I had a chance to go to an Apple store and get my hands on it and try it out. But I thought, you know, it's, it'll be okay, and you know, it's not like they're going to change it back. So you know, it is what it is. So I went to a local Apple store and tried it out, and I was like, oh, yeah, this is fine. And you know, one of the things I like about the iPhone 7 is the haptic engine that, that provides the vibration is even better. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this, but the the, the, um, the picker control, like like for d- picking dates, as you roll that, they use the haptic engine to provide feedback. So it feels like you're physically rolling. Yeah, you get these very control. subtle ticks as you slide yeah. through that just, it allows you to just be sub, you know, subtly more precise because you feel when it's moving. Yeah, and, and it just feels a little more tactile and less mm-hmm. virtual, which was just a really interesting way to use that that feature. Um, so yeah, and and you know the other thing I did in in transferring from the success to the seven was I remembered this time, and this is an important thing for those of you that haven't done this yet. If you're using the health app, you need to do a full backup, but make it encrypted. 
If you don't encrypt your full backup, when you, re when you restore that backup onto a new phone, you lose all your health data. The health data is not backed up unless it's an encrypted backup. And in iTunes, it, it does say that, but it doesn't warn you. It doesn't bring up a dialogue. There's just a little bit of a couple sentences near the encryption checkbox, which is easy to miss. And I missed it last time. When I went from the 6 to the 6S, I missed it and lost all of my uh, health data, which was really, really aggravating. So this time I didn't. Um, you know, the other thing I do and the reason I upgrade when new phones come out uh, is that they always improve the camera. Um, I saw something where Apple said that, you know, the camera is the most used feature of the iPhone. And so they, they pour an enormous amount of, uh, of time and energy and technology into it. And my feeling about the camera, you know, Paul, you and I have another thing in common, that we have kids that are close to the same age. Um, so I'm sure, like me, you take a lot of pictures of kids. Um, you can't go back and take a, a picture again. You know, you get that one opportunity to take it, and then your kids get bigger, and you can't go back and, and, and retake a picture from you know five years ago. So for me, I want to have the best camera that I can carry around. They, they say the best camera that you, in the world is the one you have with you, and so doubly so would be to have the best camera you can have that you can have with you. So that, for me, is a big thing. I've looked back at mostly at video that I took of my kids when they were toddlers, and already it feels like, wow, that kind of looks old. Yeah, yeah. I remember, yeah, because at the time when my kids were little like that, I would have been using a handheld camcorder that used the digital video tapes. Exactly, me too. And yeah. uh, I mean, those weren't HD or anything like that. And at the time, they seemed like they were super quality. And I mean, I suppose they're better than film-based uh, video recording. And they still but... had the, what is it, uh, the three by four aspect ratio? Right, the, the yeah, help. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I still got a drawer full of those D mini DV tapes somewhere here. And I you think do. I've got them all transferred to the computer. But I mean, if I didn't, I don't even know how I would do that anymore. But <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's challenging. I and mean, when when... I don't know what you did when you got married, but when we got married, I knew that I wanted it on digital because I'd want to edit it myself. So I've got the, the, the wedding video videographer. He gave us a VHS tape. Remember, folks, this was 17 years ago. <laughs> he gave us a VHS tape that he had edited, sort of, and then he gave us the raw digital tapes. And uh, I've transferred all that to the computer, and slowly but surely I've been editing it in iMovie. But here it is. Yes, 17 years later, and I still don't really have it all the way done. Uh, <laughs> tells you how important of a project that is, but uh, one day I will. Anyway, going back to the iPhone 7, um, it's faster. I like that. Battery life seems to be better. I like the speakers, having two speakers You get, when you're on speakerphone. It's yeah, loud. I was testing that last night. It's amazing. It, it, you can get it loud enough that the phone kind of vibrates in your hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is pretty good. Um, and while I haven't tested this feature yet, and I'm sure you haven't either, uh, the, the water, you know, they don't say waterproof. They say water resistant. And this is another thing I think Apple does really well. They, they, um, they kind of under promise and over deliver. So they say, you know, it's water resistant, right? And, and, you know, it turns out that it really is waterproof. Uh, I've been reading articles where people have said, you know, they've taken it underwater, um, for, you know, down to, you know, 20 feet or something and had it down there for quite some time and brought it back up and the phone continues to work just fine. 
So um, it is waterproof. I, I, I think that's yeah. Either way, I'm not likely to test that very much. I'm I'm not going to intentionally no, get my wet, but <laughs> yeah, it is it is more of a comfort thing, you know. Now, if you're you get stuck in a rainstorm, you're not like you know thinking which pocket you can stick it in that'll keep it the driest, and you know things yeah. like that. If you have to pull it out in the rain to use it, that's probably the big thing where I would get the most concern. And now I can kind of just shrug that off a bit. I'm not going to yeah. try and swim with it or anything like that. But <laughs> yeah, and the other thing I think is. I think is probably the singular most important feature of the iPhone 7. And really, this has been a uh, sort of, well, not a marquee feature of, of past iPhones, but uh, certainly, you know, more true now than it ever has been. Uh, the iPhone 7 doesn't explode. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, uh, it was funny when I was flying to and from XDC, just how all the flights, you know, had to have that special announcement for poor Samsung. And I remember asking you at XDC, so is it, you know, they say, you know, any publicity is good publicity, but really, is this good publicity? <laughs> no, no, this is really bad publicity. Uh, now you can't even take one on the flight at all. At first it was, uh, if you had a Galaxy Note 7, it had to be off and you couldn't charge it. Now they won't even allow it on the on the flight or in your luggage, even right, powered right. completely down. Um, you know, this is a perfect example of karma. Most people don't realize that the reason that Samsung had this problem is that they tried to rush the Note 7 to market uh, to steal Apple's thunder. They wanted to get the phone out before Apple released the iPhone 7, which, you know, as a company, competition, all that, I totally get that. But clearly, they took some shortcuts that, that you know, uh, resulted in some quality control problems. And, you know, most people don't realize that it's not like every phone has this problem. It's, I think, one-tenth of one percent of, of uh, Galaxy Note 7s have this. And that's, you know, not a very big number unless you're one of those people. Right, so, right. And, and, of course, I mean, there's not... I mean, proportion to the iPhone, there's not as many of those that are sold. So it's uh, still, you hear a lot about it. I, the, well, it is their flagship phone. I mean, the, the Samsung is the, the, the uh, I think, the biggest maker of phones in the world. Um, they, make, they sell more phones than Apple does. I'm pretty sure about that. I could be wrong, but I, I think they do. Um, you know, the, the, the Android market is, I think, 80, 90% of the market. Um, and the Galaxy Note 7, unlike the Edge 7, the Edge 7 is kind of the high-end phone, is my understanding. The Note 7 is the lower-end one. Um, so that they call it their flagship product. So Well, the big downside is just I've been reading it. A lot of people don't, and this is a little bit of a concern even for iPhone users, is don't know the difference between the Samsung phones. So they're just like lumping it as samsung phone problem when it's really just one specific model and maybe the regular, for sure the galaxy s isn't affected this edge isn't but you know they're banned on flights now well you know do you expect you know the airline people to be able to tell the difference by looking at one are they just going to say oh you get a samsung phone you can't use it are they going to completely flip out and say that's it no phones it's too much of a risk and that would be totally awful well, so that that's the yeah no phones at all would be the big concern. I, I don't. I, I think they understand they can't get it. that. That hurts them. You know. I, I think that they they can't get away with that. People. You know. Phones have become. You know. We we call it a phone, but honestly, it's really 
if you look at how most, well, I don't know about most, if you look at how a lot of people use it, it's more of a pocket computer that happens to also be a phone. Um, right. So, yeah, totally. It's the, the name phone has been twisted to become pocket computer at this point. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, in fact, you know, uh, Microsoft's label for their phones originally was the pocket PC, right? Right. That's what it was called. I, I don't know that that was a phone or not. I think it was. Um, maybe it was just a PDA at the time. But yeah, that was their name, pocket PC. Yeah, it doesn't so, really roll off the tongue. <laughs> well, it kind of does. I mean, it reminds me of Power PC. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, anyway, so... Yeah, so my iPhone 7 has uh, been pretty neat so far. I uh, I like it. I got the black one here. I'm holding it up for Jeff to see. Oh, and it lit up yep. when I lifted it I up I got here. black too. Oh, that reminds me of one other feature of the iPhone 7 that was an improvement. So I always get the leather, the black leather case. Right. Right, and they actually improved the black leather case. Um, now I'm going to describe this, but I'll show it to Paul. So this is an iPhone 6. Uh, that has the old black leather case. And what you can see is they make little indentations in the leather so uh, for the buttons. Right. See those? Yep. Well, that's that's just a sort of a indentation. And that makes it difficult to find them with your fingers and to press them. Um, and that kind of gets worn down with your fingers the more you use the case. With the iPhone uh, 7 le black leather case, what they've done is they've actually inserted plastic buttons. So there's an actual, let's see if I can get this. There's an actual plastic button there and on the other side, right? So uh, for the volume up and down. So that's been great because um, it's, uh, you, you can feel them more easily. You can tap them more easily. It feels like they're not going to wear down, you know? So definitely an improvement. Yeah, well, that sounds pretty useful. I don't uh, use those leather cases. I I ordered a kind of a generic case from Amazon yesterday. I get a wallet, a magnet wallet case that is. Uh, I can magnetically attach it to the wallet part, and then when I get in the car, I can pull the phone out of the wallet part, and then it mag I have a magnet mount that's in the car, and it'll just stick up and hold it there. I actually have a magnet mount here on the desk that I just usually slap my phone up against, so I can look at it. Hmm. So I'm hooked on magnets. Magnets are magical things. I love them. So, <laughs> so yeah, I use that. My phone, I was a little surprised. It took uh, essentially a month for the phone to arrive. So we actually ordered three because my daughter and my wife also did the upgrade since Verizon was doing the being very generous about the trade-in allowance. And, but they just got yeah. uh, iPhone uh, 7s. They didn't get the pluses. So I had ordered them. And, uh, you know, I kept checking the status all the time. We were at XTC, you know, everyone that's there is showing me their new iPhones and I'm getting jealous and I keep checking the status. And when I got back, I called Verizon and said, Hey, what's the deal? It just says processing it hasn't changed status. It's been almost three weeks at this point. And they're like, well, all the iPhones are back ordered until October 15th. And I'm like, seriously? Like, okay. So I, October 15th rolls around. I call them up again talk to the person and they check and they say, Oh, according to this, yours are expected to ship on November 9th. And I'm like, seriously, again, it says, seems a little ridiculous. Two months to ship the phones. They're in stock everywhere. I can walk in the mall and get them. I can walk in the Verizon store and get them. Why would they not be shipping? Yeah. And they, they had no yep. answers. They wouldn't say anything. They just said, that's when it says it's going to ship, blah, blah, blah. 
And then the day after I went to the Verizon store near the mall, to talked to a human being that was there. They kind of told me the same thing. On both cases, I kept asking, well, why? They, then they would say, oh, well, it's because you got a plus and it's got to wait. They won't ship anything until they're all in stock. And I was like, what? And then I went and checked my email I got from them and it said the total opposite thing, that they would ship when they were available, not when they were all in stock. So I was just getting tons of conflicting information. But finally, this past Sunday night at about 9 p.m., I got a text from Verizon that just out of the blue says, your phones are processing for shipment. And then sure enough, Monday morning, I start getting shipment notifications. And like an hour after that, Apple put out 10.0.3 that had a fix for connectivity for problems on Verizon. Yeah. <laughs> so my conspiracy theory, unsubstantiated, is that they were maybe asked by Apple to hold some of these no, until that, that release came out. Because... Uh, Maybe there was some significant issue with connectivity. Uh, you know that, yeah, that reminds me. I had a similar experience, although it was a little more bizarre, in that um, I was hoping my phone would show up before XTC and I could take it with me, but it didn't. It was going to ship uh, the week after XTC. And it said, you know, it was going to ship sometime between the 6th and the 12th of October. Uh, then all of a sudden it was processing for shipment, and then it said, you know, it's shipping. And, you know, these are coming from China. So I'm figuring that, you know, it's going to, I'm going to see it, you know, take three or four days to get here. No, it went from shipping to on the truck for delivery, uh, like in a day, which was really a little strange, like the phone was already here. Uh, but the other thing is, so the way I get my phone, you got yours through Verizon because they had a great deal. I get mine with Amex points. And uh, so I have to wait for Amex to have the new phone available on Amex Rewards, right? And so that takes a week or two for it to show up. It's been getting shorter and shorter. Well, the only one they had was the T-Mobile phone. I have AT&T, so that's not a problem. T-Mobile and AT&T use the same network. But with the iPhone 7, so for those of you that have not upgraded, with the iPhone 7, they've done something a little different. Um, the AT&T and T-Mobile phones only work on AT&T and T-Mobile with the iPhone 7. If you get the Verizon or Sprint iPhones, those will work on Verizon, Sprint, T-Mobile, and AT&T. They work on all of the networks. So the problem was I couldn't get a Verizon phone um, for iPhone 7 because Amex Rewards only had T-Mobile. Well, I went to an Apple store before my phone arrived, and they said, hey, just bring the phone here when you get it, and we'll exchange it for a Verizon model. So as soon as my phone arrived, I just drove down to the Apple store, and they swapped it out for a Verizon version of the phone. So now that's what I've got. Nice. Yeah. Well, I suppose it is one benefit for me having to wait for the Verizon one. Should I ever well, switch? Yeah. I can. And they're saying that the on resale, which is the thing I'm thinking about, uh, you probably get about 50 bucks more on an iPhone seven when you eventually resell it because the person buying it will be able to use it on any network versus if you're selling an AT&T or T-Mobile phone, they'll have to use it on the network that, you know, that they're on. Right. Or well, one uh, so-called marquee feature on the iPhone seven is uh, the removal of the headphone jack. Lots of, oh, yeah. lots of controversy around that. I uh, primarily use uh, 
wireless headphones. I'm actually wearing them right now. Even though there is a wire sticking out of them, I only use the wire with the Mac. Otherwise, they're Bluetooth wireless. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, and these are great, and I use them all the time pretty much. So I'm, I'm not going to notice too, too much that there's a missing headphone jack. I do have my other headphones here that I get the adapter connected to, but I haven't yep. actually tested the adapter. These are my in-ear ones that I use like when I'm lying down or something like that. Uh, so I don't particularly think the lack of uh, a headphone jack is going to be a big deal for me personally. You had mentioned uh, at some point, though, that you think the AirPods might be pretty cool. Yes, I'm planning on getting the AirPods. I've, I've, they're supposed to come out this month. They're not available yet. Um, I walk, you know, every morning three miles with my dog. So I listen to podcasts and music and stuff. And um, not having that wire dangling, I've caught it a couple of times with my arm as I, you know, move my arms around. Um, you know, the untangling headphones, that sort of stuff. Uh, it would be great to not deal with that anymore. And then it, of course, makes the uh, it makes the uh, removal of the headphone jack a sort of a, a non-issue. Uh, people have, you know, people love to speculate about stuff that they can't get their hands on, right? We've experienced that as a company, the Zojo. Um, I've heard people say, oh, those AirPods, you know, people are going to lose them. Well, probably not because uh, the AirPods come with a case, and that case is actually a charger. So when you're done with your AirPods, you're going to put them in the case, and probably put the case in your pocket or on your desk, and that's going to recharge them, right? And you can plug that case into a – it has a, a charger. Itself, it has a cable itself to charge it. But based on that, I don't see people losing them. Um, I think it's cool that, you know, when you take one out of your ear, the music stops immediately. It knows that. You know, so they've got some neat features. Um, and then it, of course, solves the problem of, you know, well – what if I need to listen to use the ear, you know the earphones and charge my phone at the same time? Well, obviously it's not an issue when they're wireless. So I think Apple recognizes that those are going to be very very popular. Yeah, and I mean I've been using wireless headphones now for almost a year, I guess. And it, you know, once you switch to going with wireless headphones, it's hard to go back to one with a wire because you do, you constantly get caught on it. Even now I'm using my, my Bluetooth wireless headphones with a wire that's plugged into the Mac because the Mac's Bluetooth isn't great. And, uh, you know, if my cat comes in here, he'll snag himself on the wire. Sometimes it looks like he might be wanting to chew on it and I got to kick him out. And then I'll sometimes hit the wire and then send something flying off my desk and it's very annoying. I'd much rather just have, you know, no wires whatsoever. And it is great with the phone because you just stick it wherever too. You know, if your phone's tucked in your coat, you don't have to try and loop a wire out through your coat to get up to your head. You just... That's right. That's right. So, yeah. yeah. Our, I think wires are one of those things that our kids will tell their kids. Yeah, when I was little, we had wires connecting things together. And their kids will be like, what? It's like... <laughs> when my kids first saw a phone that was physically connected to a location, you know, by the time they were old enough, we'd gotten rid of our home phones and, you know, just, I'd say for the last at least 10 years, but maybe a little longer, probably 12 years, uh, we've had, you know, wireless phones or, you know, cellular phones only. Um, so when my kids were little and they first saw a phone that was like connected to a, a place that wasn't one you could just stick in your pocket, they thought that was really 
kind of cute. <laughs> you know? Yeah, cute. And we we just think back and go, oh, that was awful. But uh... <laughs> yeah, but now I think wireless is the equivalent of that. It's like, you know, things are becoming more and more wireless. So I'm really looking forward to them. I was um, talking to an entrepreneur here in Austin this past weekend, and we've got onto the subject of the AirPods. And he had a really interesting comment about them. Uh, so he designs, he has um, hearing aids, uh, so he's hearing impaired, and he designs things for people that are um, deaf or hearing impaired. Uh, one of the things he makes is a lamp uh, that connects via a Bluetooth to your phone. So the lamp will flash, like if you're, if you're getting a phone call or it can detect like if someone's at the door, all this kind of stuff. So it's home automation for the hearing impaired. Anyway, he, he, um, we're talking about the AirPods and, and, and he pulls his, his, um, he pulls his hearing aids out of his ears and he has the kind that are almost invisible. Okay. I noticed them because my mom has the same ones, but they're almost invisible. And he holds them out and he says, you see these? He says, these are designed to be nearly invisible because people with hearing impairment don't want to advertise that fact. So you really want them to be not noticeable at all. But Apple has changed that because people are used to encountering and having conversations with people that have their earbuds in their ears. Right. They don't pull them out to talk. They keep them in their ears and they still have a conversation. So that's become an okay thing. It's almost a fashion statement. I, I said, yeah, think about the early um, uh, iPod ads. They, they had people dancing in silhouette on a, on a colored background and the thing that stood out in bright white was the iPod and the earbuds, right? right? So what he was saying is, is that the, the earbuds, the new ones, are you're, – you're, you're halfway to a um, – well, actually, you're not even halfway, perhaps, but you're, you're – you're, yeah, you're, you're, you're almost to a, um, a low-cost hearing aid a high quality, low cost hearing aid because they have a microphone, right? And, and they're in your ears. They've got amplification. That's all a hearing aid is, is an amplifier. And they're pointing out that, you know, yeah, the earbuds are, I think, going to be 159. Sounds and, right. Yeah. And that's a lot more than the wired ones. However, <laughs> if you buy a nice pair of hearing aids, which this guy had and my mom has, those cost five to six thousand dollars so you may see the airpods uh, morph into a form of hearing aid for people that are hearing impaired which for them could be a really terrific thing well i mean my wife has certainly been keen on them she's actually deaf in one ear can't hear out one ear and which is inconvenient because she's also a middle school teacher <laughs> yeah so she has hearing aids that uh go in her deaf ear and then transmit wirelessly to a hearing aid that's in her other ear oh, so wow. that she can hear sounds that would be on the other side of her head that she wouldn't otherwise be able to hear. And she also runs. And the cool thing about the air pods is that right now, all every time we get, I get her some headphones or something, you know, they're always two, they're connected. 
Yeah. And the second one is worthless to her. She can't hear anything out of that one. So she's always got this second one that's dangling down oh, or right. something. In the past, we've tried cutting them. Yeah, that often destroys them. Yeah. <laughs> Surprising how that works. Yeah. So, But the AirBuds work with just one. You can just put one in. And it also, what you just described, if you put two in, do they both have the microphones? If they did, they could possibly work as yeah. picking up the sound that she can't hear on one side and transmit it to the other side with you know, probably just a software update of something. So, yeah, that's uh, certainly something to keep an eye on. Yeah, um, and Apple has been pretty good about, uh, in the past, on the Mac and on the uh, iPhone, uh, with dealing with people who have disabilities of various kinds, whether it's, um, you know... Um, you know, the keyboard being, you know, the mouse being, having it so that you can do everything from the keyboard, um, speaking text for people that are uh, sight impaired. They've been pretty good about accessibility. And uh, I'm interested to see where they go with the AirPods in terms of accessibility. They may not do anything like version one, but I would be surprised if in, you know, subsequent versions or software updates to the phone or whatever, that we don't end up seeing uh, those. And, and and they pair perfectly too. I've seen the demo of how you pair them. It's like, you know, it, it's, it's the easiest Bluetooth pairing in the world. Uh, which yeah, is just- which is, I mean, Bluetooth pairing, I mean, I can deal with it. You know, us techies can deal with it. But like my mother-in-law has an iPad and she wanted a keyboard for it. And I told my wife, we cannot get her a Bluetooth keyboard. So we, yeah, we actually got her the camera adapter and got her a USB keyboard to plug in well, that and, way. Yeah, notice that uh, Apple, with the keyboard on the iPad Pro, it's not Bluetooth. Right. Yeah, it has a, there's a physical connector, you know, that, that, that uh, it's, it's a brilliant way they've done it, but it's not Bluetooth, which is interesting. Well, speaking of, of tech things, uh, our last topic we'll, we'll cover here briefly before we wrap up so that people don't have the world's longest podcast to listen to. It yeah. is, uh, uh, right before we started recording this, Apple and, uh, sent out the announcement that they're going to have another event at the end of October uh, called Hello Again that is apparently, I don't know if they came right out and said it, but I think it's you know super strongly implied that it's going to be talking about Mac-related things. And at this point, everyone is fully expecting new laptops, uh, particularly a MacBook Pro. Yeah. Um, and then people are hoping, hoping that all the Macs might even get updated. Like me personally, I'm hoping that maybe they jettison this trash can Mac Pro and come up with something that uh, is a little more practical, but that has almost zero chance of happening. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah. I have a t- 2012 MacBook Pro. And so um, it, it works great, but I'm uh, anxious for a new one. So um, I, I, I think it's almost 100% certain that there will be a new MacBook Pro. Um, I don't think it's going to be surprising if you've been following the rumors. Uh, I think it's going to be pretty darn close to what the rumors say. I'm a little concerned. I, I've been hearing that they may announce it at the end of this month, but it may not be available until January. Um, doesn't sound like Apple to make an announcement that far in advance. And it also doesn't sound like them to miss the Christmas season, which, you know, Apple's first quarter of their fiscal year is the last quarter of the calendar year. So they, their first quarter is, is the Christmas season. It's now. Yeah, it's now. Now. That's right. So they don't want to, they don't want to miss that. It's their best quarter of their year. So I don't know if I believe that part of it. Um, 
I'm guessing that there will be at least a MacBook Pro and a new iMac. Um, though I have to say, it won't it won't surprise me at all if they refresh the entire line, uh, MacBooks, and at least you know MacBooks and then the Mac Pro. I agree with you that I don't think they'll abandon the design because um, of the of the Mac Pro, the the cylinder. It's, it's funny you call it a trash can. Uh, <laughs> I actually like the way it looks. I think it's pretty cool. And I think that the, the, most of the people that use it are creative professionals and they want something that looks cool on their desk. Oh, I, I totally agree. It looks cool. And it, and, it, yeah, and it has practical, there is a practical side to it in terms of cooling and no fans and all that stuff. Um, so it may, there may be other reasons it's, that it's not as practical, but understanding who they're designing that for doesn't surprise me. Oh, going back really quickly to ship dates. Um, another reason that I don't think that they would announce in October to ship in January beyond you know the other reasons is, you know, Tim Cook himself came from that side of Apple. In other words, his job before being CEO is to make sure that stuff got made on time and at the best price and the shipping, all that stuff, those logistics that was the part of Apple he comes from. So that's got to be near and dear to his heart. His standards for that must be extremely high. So I, I can't see them announcing stuff that far in advance and missing that window. That just, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not, usually the stuff they announce far in advance is a brand new product that they just want right. to get ahead of, you know, like they did with the watch and the original phone. Uh, they yeah. didn't pre-announce the iPad at all. Did they? Yeah, they did. That was a few yeah. months out as well. But just a regular Mac laptop, I mean, even if it does have the cool new touch function bar or whatever they're calling it, yeah, that doesn't seem like that's new enough to warrant a lead time, really. So it would only right. be manufacturing that would warrant that would cause a lead time. And like you said, Tim Cook is not going to stand for that. So, yeah, and I gotta say, when I first heard about it, which uh, from a rumor I read today, uh, it's, it's called a magic bar. Right, that's um, the name. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, when I first heard about it, it felt a little gimmicky. Um, and then I realized, you know what, Apple, thats there are lots of companies that do stuff that's gimmicky. Apple really doesn't tend to do that. So I started thinking about it, and I realized that the cool thing about that bar is that it's programmable on an application basis. So imagine us being able to have, you know, normally the function keys are basically just for the OS more than anything else, you know, volume control, muting, uh, play, pause. And I frankly don't end up using many of them. But with a programmable bar, uh, it could change based on what applications in the foreground, especially for us at Zojo, for a development tool, that could be pretty darn interesting. <laughs> I think we could do some really interesting things if it turns out that it is what I think it's going to be. Yeah, it would certainly be. It'd just be interesting to see. I mean, and even if it could do, you know, non-traditional things like maybe display status messages or, I mean, what could it be used for? I mean, who knows, but that would be more useful to just have that different way to show information. Of course it would at this point be limited to, you know, MacBook pros. So laptop users and it'd be excluded from other ones. like Like the retina screen, it started off on the iPhone, then it went to the MacBook 
you know, and I, I can you get an iMac with a retina? Yeah, yeah, you can get an iMac, an iMac with a retina screen. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. if they think it's neat, they got to start with it somewhere. And by far, most people who use Macs are running laptops. I mean, you've got the, you know, me and my Mac Pro here, I'm like, I'm the 1%. And so right. Apple doesn't care about what I want. Uh, <laughs> well, I wouldn't go that far, but, but yeah, I think that they, you're right, that the, in terms of sure quantity, they sell more MacBook Pros than, or you know, MacBooks than I, I think anything else. Yeah, well, just a, they, I mean, like someone like me really wants a Mac Pro that's expandable, and Apple's like, yeah, no, we're out of that. We don't build computers yeah. like that anymore. So it's just like, yeah, I, that's why when I say they don't build what I want, that's what I would want. They have no interest in building that anymore, so that makes me a little sad. But oh well. Um, yeah, but, but yeah, I, this I, Touch I Bar will be interesting to see. I, I, I certainly think it'll be, it'll be exciting just to have a, you know. I'm not a longtime Mac user compared to some people, but I, the Macs are just fun. They're kind of where the you know the beginnings of Apple, uh, you know, for many people, and it, yeah. it's it's neat to see what innovations they might try to apply there. And you know, the stuff's been stagnating so long; it's a running joke at this point. So it kind of had to do something. Yeah, it's been, it's, yeah, and they're and they're like the sites. A lot of the sites have been recommending lately to not buy a new Mac because the Macs are so old. They haven't been revved in so long. There's bound to be new ones out. So, yeah, you know, I've got friends and neighbors that come to me all the time, and uh, you know, I've switched too. them over to Max. And I, I, my hairdresser that lives across the street, her her iMac is from 2008, and I've been there a couple times this year to salvage some stuff off it and whatnot. And she's like, "Oh, you know, should I think about getting a new one?" And I'm like, "No, not yet. <laughs> Wait." Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. A friend asked me because they were getting their high school age daughter. Uh, a new laptop and they were thinking about getting a MacBook and they asked me, you know, is this the right time to get one? I said, no, I I really, this is in September. I said, I think you should wait because the rumors are that there's going to be an announcement at the end of, you know, or in October sometime. So it'd be kind of a shame to buy one and then have new ones out, you know, a month or two later. Um, Going back to the uh, magic bar though, I, I, It'll be interesting to see. I'm sure Apple's got a really good idea of how to use it. It'll be interesting to see how developers use it. Um, and I think it's a little taste of something bigger yet to come. Um, I think that Apple is going to do with the entire keyboard what they've done with the Magic Bar. And that I think, well, we'll I think we'll still have physical keys, but I think they're going to make the keys um, have. Um, some sort of e-ink capability. Uh, yeah, I've seen there's a few people that make keyboards like that now that are pretty yeah, high end. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, and they're high end now. But I think Apple's going to start building keyboards like that because there's all kinds of interesting things you could do uh, if you had that. Um, heck, if if nothing else, you could tell looking at the keyboard. You know, not everyone like you and me touch types, right? So uh, you could tell if the caps lock key is on, right? Because the the letters could draw in lowercase on on the physical keys when the caps lock or when the you know, when the shift key isn't down and the caps lock isn't on, right? And then symbols and you know you have to have Apple has to make here's a really practical reason Apple makes uh, different um, Macs MacBooks in different markets because of the keyboard uh, in France you, know, you need a French keyboard in uh, Asian countries like my wife's Korean. Korean keyboard. But if you had an e-ink capability, you could make a single keyboard for 
all of your uh, MacBooks, you know, all your laptops. You wouldn't need different keyboards and thus all the inventory problems that go along with that. Right, right. So, yeah, uh, was actually, I saw at XTC is uh, we had a customer from, I think it was the UK somewhere, and they had their laptop and the keyboard even there looked different, even though it was still an English keyboard. And it had yeah. things, things were labeled, like the return and the enter key didn't, I don't think they said return on it. It had just like a big arrow or something like that. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And I was like, what? I was well confused for a few minutes. He was like, no, that's what it looks like. And I pulled up my MacBook Air and it, labels were utterly different. Yeah, I always figured they had one key that had O and U on it because they always seem to add extra U's to their words over and over. <laughs> <laughs> or as they say, we've lost ours over time. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm glad that they're you know having this announcement. I'm looking forward to it. I hope that it is you know more uh, more than just a, a new MacBook Pro. You know, that it's, they're revving across the board at Apple. The the guy that's sort of at the top of the food chain on the Mac side, he is in charge of all of the Macs, you know, Mac Pros, MacBook Air, you know, um, et cetera, iMacs. He's in charge of all that. And they all have been, uh, are long in the tooth. You know, they, they all need to be revved. So I'm crossing my fingers and hoping that they rev the whole shoot and match. Yeah, that'll be interesting to pay attention to. And it, and it's got to be good for Apple because, I mean, they've still been selling a fair amount of Macs each quarter, even though the, yeah. the, they've been older. So uh, this can only be good news for them because obviously a lot of people have had to have been waiting and uh, are going to be all over new stuff. Yep. All right. Well, thank you, Jeff, for being on Zoja Talk uh, this month. Everybody loves hearing from you, and it's always fun to have geek talk. With yep. Okay. Thanks, Paul. You're welcome. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Have a great day.